0: Experience a full mind, body, and spirit approach to living your best life. Learn how to achieve optimal health, wealth, and happiness. This is your journey to wellness and abundance. You are listening to Mind Over Matters with your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Nuon of the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Nuon. As you know, I'm a double board certified integrative and interventional clinical psychologist, with a postgraduate specialization in functional medicine. I'm also a certified wellness instructor, best-selling author and speaker, and the director for the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness in Bloomingdale, Illinois. As you know, the purpose of this show is to get you thinking about how powerful your mind is and what you can do right now to change your life for the better. So this show, Mind Over Matters, is gonna challenge you to think differently about how your physical health can be improved, the health of your day-to-day relationships, a level of daily happiness, even your financial well-being, all of these areas can be dramatically improved by taking a more holistic approach to your life. So my goal, as you know, is to educate and empower you to live a life by design, a life on purpose and with passion and with positive results. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your support and tuning in. I've got a great show for you today. Of course, I think they're all great. And I hope you do too. I hope you find them practical and you know, easy to apply but it's related to finding a good therapist. I think you'd all agree with me that most people, including myself at you know times in my life, most of us could benefit from seeing a good therapist or a good counselor, right? But now more than ever, people are experiencing unprecedented levels of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, you name it, as well as increases in other types of situational stress. So an upside to all of this is the stigma related to dealing with mental health and behavioral health issues has dramatically diminished. It's even fashionable in some circles to have a therapist. However, it is becoming more difficult to get in to see a good therapist or counselor, and it can be even more challenging to find a good one, let alone a great one. Okay. But how do you know what kind of therapist to choose? You know, Are there certain characteristics to look for in a good therapist or a great therapist? Well, it turns out that there are. Author Abigail Fagan has totally hooked us up with what to look for in a great therapist. Her research has identified seven specific traits of a great therapist. So for best results though, the therapeutic relationship has to be a really good fit because it is a very special and unique relationship, okay? In order to foster success and and get great outcomes, it's my hope that, you know, of course you always get great treatment, you have to connect with somebody that is a really, really good fit for you. So also it's important that the work you do with a great therapist is very pragmatic, right? You wanna be able to apply what you're working on and working through uh, in therapy. So welcome to the show, How to Choose a Great Therapist. Let's dive right in. So uh, the author uh, had an article in the most recent edition of Psychology Today, and it starts off by saying done right, Therapy is tough work, right? Of course, if, if it were easy, you wouldn't need a therapist. Uh, clients confront their deepest feelings, face what in their life you know, uh, and in their self isn't working and adopt a plan and endure discomfort for change, right? Change, most changes, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable and that's why most people avoid change and they dread it because it requires work. The author says they probe the past Dismantle often long standing defenses and discard decades of habits so entrenched they may have become part of a personal identity, clearing the path to change. And the process requires tremendous courage. I will absolutely agree with that. I'll just say that, you know, the first time I saw a therapist, it was back uh, when I started graduate school. You know, uh, it was strongly encouraged. It wasn't required, but it was strongly encouraged and expected that as a therapist in training, that you would make sure that your own house is in order before you start working with others. So it does require courage. And I remember I was excited and nervous at the same time. So the author says, what exactly are the talents and skills needed to help others transform pain into possibility? Well, appropriate training and licensure are givens, right? Of course, you wanna work with somebody that has appropriate training and a license. And I'm just gonna say here, please, at a minimum, a counselor or therapist should have a master's level degree. If they do not have a master's level degree, they are not qualified to work with you You know, uh, in a true therapist or counselor role. You need advanced graduate training for that. So at a minimum, look for a therapist with a master's degree. Uh, a doctorate degree indicates that they've had several more years of training and practical application. So minimum master's degree, okay? So besides licensure and training, Uh, There's a code of ethics. Trustworthiness, the ability to communicate, and holding the client's needs foremost represent the baseline for therapists. At its best, therapy leads to freedom. By releasing themselves from the accommodations they've made to survive the past, people can reach a satisfying future. They progress, achieve, connect, love, and transform. What successful therapy entails is important for both the therapist and the patient to know. Psychology Today talked to several therapists and conducted a survey of readers to understand what they valued in a therapist. And the author says she's identified seven essential traits. So let's start with trait number one, trust building. Okay, therapy asks people to expose their secrets, reveal their fears, craft new ways of seeing and being. And those fears can happen only if patients feel completely safe and unjudged. I'm just gonna pause there and say, when I meet for the first time with prospective therapy or counseling patients, the first thing I let them know is that this is a safe place. I acknowledge that they're probably anxious or nervous, and I let them know that this is a relationship unlike any other, that this is a relationship that gets to be completely about them with no other agenda, no other biases, and you know, different from going to family or friends that have expectations, right, of how, you know, that person should believe or behave or be. I let my clients know that hopefully by the end of our first meeting, they will feel a sense of safety and comfort and trust, knowing that this can be a safe place to explore whatever they need to explore. And and frankly, not everybody needs to explore their past. Some people come in because they have some situational stress going on that they need to problem solve their way through. Okay. Maybe the past is getting in the way maybe it's not it doesn't always have to be about being in the past to move forward so i'm going to say that as well but a good therapist should state at the outset that it's a safe place to explore what the client needs to explore and that it should be all about the client okay the author says research shows that the effectiveness of therapy hinges on the therapeutic alliance that is the relationship between the therapist and the patient and the pair need to develop a strong sense of rapport trust and safety Absolutely agreed. Trust is the foundation of a sense of security and safety. Quote, without rapport, therapy cannot proceed, says Naomi Spencer, a clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Otterbein University. She says, that's the essential ingredient. And I will pause right here to say that the research shows that the most important ingredient that indicates a successful therapeutic outcome is the relationship between the therapist and the client absolutely heads down or hands down and and this precludes whatever type of therapy that they're using it could be you know traditional cognitive behavioral therapy as some of you are familiar with it could be dialectical behavioral therapy it could be old school psychoanalysis it could be client-centered therapy and not that it's important for you to know what all of those perspectives and styles and therapies are but my point is regardless of what training the therapist has or what style of therapeutic intervention that that they're doing in that therapeutic work with you the foundation of a successful outcome is the relationship itself the relationship between the therapist and the client so i want to talk more about what building trust entails and what establishing rapport entails and you know some examples of how you can begin to feel you know, a good level of trust and rapport in the therapeutic relationship. And frankly, you should be able to feel it within the first one to two meetings. If you don't, it's not a good fit. So stick around. You're listening to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Newon. You're listening to our show today, How to Choose a Great Therapist. We will be right back. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Lately, it seems you're not feeling quite right. As if your body is working against you, Dr. Amy and Associates can help create a path to achieve optimal health. Experience personalized healthcare for your mind, body, and spirit at a practice that blends holistic and traditional medicine.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Harris-Nuhan of Dr. Amy and Associates. One of the services we provide, mental health and wellness. We see children, adolescents, and adults for individuals, couples, and family counseling. We even do psychiatry and medication management. All of our thoughts, feelings, and actions are a result of those conditions, ways of thinking, feeling, and being that lead us to make decisions. And so I work with individuals to help them understand and help them create a new blueprint to move them from a negative mindset to a positive mindset.
0: Call Dr. Amy and Associates to experience a whole person integrative approach to health and wellness, 630-980-1400. Or visit DrAmyAndAssociates.com. Dr. Amy and Associates, empowering people, changing lives.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show, How to Choose a Great Therapist. I'm so glad you tuned in today because this is a big deal. Now more than ever, people are recognizing the need to get in and see a good therapist or counselor. But how do you know what's a good therapist or counselor? So author Abigail Fagan has totally hooked us up with seven traits to help us identify a great therapist. If you missed any of the show, you can check out a rebroadcast on this great station. Or you can check us out online on our website, it's thecifhw.com. You can check out a rebroadcast on our Facebook page, it's facebook.com forward slash thecifhw. If you need to get in with a good therapist or counselor, we've got a very talented team of therapists on board. Simply give us a call, 630-980-1400. We are seeing clients and patients in video visits, as well as telehealth and certainly in person. We want to make sure that you get the care you need now more than ever. Also, want to invite you to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're doing some great, great posts these days, really practical and applicable. Also, want to let you know we are running a food drive now through the end of the year in exchange for five non-perishable food items. You can get a B12 shot, just, you know, you don't need an appointment, just stop on in, drop off your food let uh, our admin know that you're here to drop off food and get your B12 shot. And uh, also we are working with Toys for Tots this season, so we've got a couple of Toys for Tots. Please bring an unwrapped brand new toy and just drop it in the box. Uh, That's a great way of giving back. So uh, again, I thank you for your support and I'm gonna ask that you support others uh, at this time of the year. Uh, as well. So what are these traits of a great therapist? First, trust, right? You have to be able to build trust and establish a sense of rapport. But how is trust created? Well, curiosity is often the seed, the author says. Great therapists are fascinated by the variety of human experience and are eager to discover more about the individual sitting before them. Uh, People respond to genuine curiosity. They begin to feel comfortable. They begin to share and trust begins to unfold. Second element of rapport is listening attentively. So establishing therapy as an enterprise in which the patient feels completely heard forges a special connection between the two. A third facet of rapport is non-judgmentalism, which frees the patient to open up and allows the therapist to take in who the person is. Those three elements are the core of rapport, Dr. Spencer says. So here's the thing, you have to allow for the patient to be anxious and nervous too. And so that's why it's important to normalize that experience. You know, I'll always say, hey, I understand, you know, especially if, the, if you're new to therapy or counseling, you know, it can be kind of scary and exciting at the same time. I understand you may be nervous. And, and I'll acknowledge, hey, I'm usually nervous on, you know, my first meeting too, even though I've been a practicing psychologist for years and years. I'll acknowledge that I'm nervous, too, because that helps normalize what they're experiencing. And I share with them, hey, you know, let this be a safe place. I understand it may take you a while to feel comfortable and to open up and to explore what you need to explore and, you know, what it is that you came here for, um, but I'll be patient and I'll take your lead. And that usually helps put people at ease. The author also says, once established, rapport is continually nurtured through a variety of techniques, to deepen the patient's sense of safety and security. A creative line of questioning can lead the patient to self-discovery and periodically discussing and amending as needed a patient's concrete goals for therapy assures the patient that their aims are aligned. Rapport may be strengthened by a dash of self-disclosure by the therapist in response to pertinent question and it may be sustained by voicing optimism about the patient's ability to change. You know, I will say as a therapist, I always take a strength based approach and I'll let them know that as an integrative psychologist, I may draw on a lot of different, you know, styles of therapy. Um, but my expectation is that that will always be able to draw on their strengths. The author goes on to say once, you know, Dr. Spencer once worked with a young woman who struggled with loneliness and social anxiety, yet she was reluctant to open up and therapy was stalled. One day, she walked in the room visibly shaken. And when Dr. Spencer asked why, she responded that she couldn't tell him because it involved him and his staff. Dr. Spencer didn't push her. He filed the comment away for later. They talked about her childhood and her relationship with her parents. Her father had been hostile and abusive. When she expressed an opinion or need, he would bully, criticize, or silence her. Dr. Spencer developed a hunch. Later that session, he ventured, he said, I'm not your father. But do you, but you know what I mean when I say that, she says, you're mean, you're not going to hurt me if I tell you exactly how I feel. And he said, that's right. I'm going to take what you tell me and use it only to understand you better and help you better with life. She said the woman confided her suspicion that members of Dr. Spencer's staff were making fun of her. He thanked her for her courage and honesty. Not only was Spencer's response a demonstration that he wasn't her father, he accepted and respected her input. It opened a door for both therapist and patient. Dr. Spencer then asked if she often felt that others were scheming against her behind her back, and she did. The two explored her suspicion of others, which was a protective mechanism. Perhaps, Dr. Spencer ventured, it once was, but now was harming her ability to engage with the world in a healthy way. So Dr. Spencer kept his word. He didn't react the way her father would have, and he used the information only to help her. says, as long as rapport is there, you can recover from setbacks or mistakes, he says. If not, no amount of skill or education is going to work. So here's the thing. Here's an example of how trust and rapport is very, very delicate. It is a fragile relationship, a therapeutic relationship is considered very fragile and it needs to be respected as such. Not that clients are fragile necessarily, although some people are and some people are about certain things, but there needs to be a sense that no matter what the patient or client says, it's going to be held, one, in confidentiality, held with compassion And with understanding and with a genuine sense of wanting to help work the client through that so trust building and rapport are at the core of any successful therapeutic relationship and it is one trait of a great therapist okay if you don't feel like you can trust your therapist or counselor especially within the first three meetings you probably need to find a new therapist or counselor because it's kind of like a shoe it should fit and it should feel comfortable you should you know, a good therapist, actually even a great therapist, is gonna be able to put you at ease right at the first appointment. Certainly by the third, you'll have a sense of, of of trust and connection. But that's not the only trait that makes for a successful therapeutic outcome and a great relationship. The therapist has to be open-minded, right? The goal is to make the patient be the best they can be, not the person the therapist thinks they should be. So the therapist, one you know, trait, uh, of a great therapist is to be open-minded. It kind of goes along with being judgmental as well. So the author says, perhaps paradoxically, a therapist's real benefit to the patient is they have no skin in the game, says Pennsylvania psychologist Daniel Marston. Great therapists don't begin with a fixed point of view about what the outcome should be, however subtle. They're guided by the patient and the patient's view of a meaningful life. Each patient brings a unique history and often remarkable creativity to setting up the life they want, although sometimes they need help resolving some inner conflict before they can enjoy it. The therapist can help them clear the path to whatever they choose. As he said, the goal is to make the patient be the best they can be, not the person the therapist thinks they should be. Okay? The challenge to open-mindedness is especially acute in couples therapy. And this is something I'm just going to pause right there and say couples therapy really requires a, a, a great degree of di- diplomacy and tact and the ability to gently challenge. Of course, those are, 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 are traits of a great therapist in individual therapy as well, but especially in couples therapy and especially when the therapist meets with, meets with each individual within that couple on separate occasions, which is a common practice. So they have to be able to be open-minded, especially in couples therapy, and we see that need in family therapy as well. So when we come back, we're going to be talking more about examples of a great therapist, examples of what it takes to be open-minded, and what you should look for when choosing a therapist, whether it's for your individual needs, your couple's needs, or family therapy needs. what that looks like. You're listening to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Newon. We will be right back.
0: Lately, it seems you're not feeling quite right. As if your body is working against you, Dr. Amy and Associates can help create a path to achieve optimal health. Experience personalized health care for your mind, body, and spirit at a practice that blends holistic and traditional medicine.
2: I was involved in a devastating head-on motorcycle accident, which left me broken, battered, and afraid. I turned to Dr. Amy and Associates to care for my broken body. With their help, I healed quickly. I was able to sleep, and the nightmare stopped. I was able to get back on the motorcycle without fear. Since they worked with my insurance. I've used them for allergy and food sensitivity testing, weight loss, massage, acupuncture, and life coaching. They use both Eastern and Western medicine and is a holistic practice like no other. I am so grateful for Dr. Amy and Associates.
0: Call Dr. Amy and Associates to experience a whole person integrative approach to health and wellness. 630-980-1400 or visit DrAmyAndAssociates.com. Dr. Amy and Associates, empowering people, changing lives.
1: Hi everyone, welcome back to My Hope Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris. You're listening to our show, How to Choose a Great Therapist. I want to hook you up with the characteristics you need to be aware of that makes for a great therapist. Because if you work with a great therapist, you're likely going to have a great outcome. Okay, so author Abigail Fagan has, you know, helped us understand seven great traits of a great therapist so you can get the best Therapeutic outcome. Trait number two is the ability to be open minded, whether you're seeing an individual, a couple, or a family. The author says the challenge to open mindedness, again, is especially acute in couples therapy. Many couples therapists and people in general have internalized myths of what a healthy romantic relationship looks like, says Alexandra Solomon, a clinical psychologist at the Family Institute and a clinical assistant professor at Northwestern University. Maybe the therapist tends to think a couple shouldn't get married before dating for a year or have a baby before living together. But great family therapists explore their own beliefs and biases about relationships before centering therapy around a couple's vision. So Solomon once worked with a young couple struggling over whether to get engaged. The man was a bit older and couldn't wait to get married and settle down with the love of his life. But his young partner had an adventurous nature and first wanted to take up residence in a different part of the country before settling down. Quote, the couples therapist might think, uh-oh, that'll put the relationship at risk. A couple shouldn't live apart. Or, if you want to live apart, it must mean that that person is not for you, Solomon asserts. But a great couples therapist explores unconventional paths that could create room for both partner's dreams. Solomon worked with the couple to unearth their concerns. Turns out the woman felt torn by a choice she perceived as binary. Do I choose adventure or do I choose love? The man feared that her moving meant that the relationship wasn't a priority for her and that marriage would be pushed years down the timeline. Well, as it turns out, therapy focused on the falsity of the binary choice and the couple's time concerns. Most important, the woman learned how to assure her boyfriend of her love and commitment to him, a skill she hadn't acquired growing up in a non-expressive household articulating how much she loved him, allayed his fear. And in the end, the woman moved and they worked to maintain their long distance relationship. The man became proud of himself for supporting her. Their mantra became, we're slowing down to speed up. So here's an example of a therapist wanting to understand the concerns of each individual and not coming in with preconceived notions of what a healthy relationship looks like because healthy relationships have lots of different faces, right? So. You got to, you know, be able to build trust and rapport and nurture that therapeutic relationship. And a good and a great therapist needs to be open-minded. Always work the the client's agenda, not your own. I tell my patients, I say, nobody knows you better than you. I will look to you to be your own best expert. And I'm going to rely on you to help me understand what you need and what your goals are. Okay, I don't profess to know what's best for other people. I think we all know what's best for ourselves sometimes our blind spots get in the way sometimes you know uh you know biases or judgment can get in the way but that's where you have a responsibility to have a good therapeutic relationship with your own therapist all right so what about an inquiring nature another trait of great therapists is to have a strongly inquiring nature inquiry is the heart of psychotherapy it's the process of peeling back the layers of identity and examining the forces, shaping the way people think and act. Probing questions help the therapist understand patients and patients understand themselves. Inquiry doesn't impose insights on people. It affords them the opportunity of self-discovery, provided the therapist deploys creativity and wisdom in the questioning. There's no perfect formula for inquiry, yet one through line is that successful inquiry must be infused with compassion and kindness from both the therapist and the patient. Most behaviors are, at their core, self-protective. Kindness of process acknowledges that even the most painful patterns develop for good reason, that acknowledging one's defenses is an act of bravery, and courage deserves compassion. Amen and amen. So one core question that is seemingly obvious but is sometimes overlooked is, why now, says New York City therapist Susan Bernstone. A patient may have been depressed for months or years, but last week they picked up the phone and made an appointment what changed what prompted them to make the call perhaps their spouse threatened to leave or low performance rating at work put their career at jeopardy okay so one of the things I will always ask is what now so what is it that brings you in to therapy what's going on what happened recently because that's that's the why right it may be a crisis it may be an existential crisis, it may be a health crisis, maybe a marital crisis, but it's important to know why. What happened that that person is finally getting into see a therapist? Another core question is, why does this make sense? It gets to the root of all the combinations and adaptations people make to survive in one environment that may not work in another, the source of so much human suffering. Perhaps like Spencer's suspicious patient, a client developed a harmful pattern of behavior out of self-protection. Perhaps a new obstacle emerged that derailed the progress they were making. So exploring the answers to these questions can lead to discovery that opens the way to progress. So here's the thing, we all develop coping strategies, right? Some are healthy, some may be unhealthy, some may be grossly unhealthy, but the likelihood is when those defense mechanisms or coping strategies were developed, they were adaptive. The problem is people use them so often they become habits and they're no longer adaptive in your relationships or situations today. We carry old habits into new situations and that's when they start to work against us. The author goes on to say, beyond such basic but critical questions, good therapists get considerably creative. For example, Burnstone says, let's say a client is having an affair and wants to stop but hasn't for months. To learn what the situation really means for them, why they're holding on to that, the therapist might ask the provocative question, what's wrong with having an affair? It takes another angle, Burnstone says, you're gonna get them to think about it differently. Many psychological problems result from the habit of avoidance, Dr. Spencer says. The client faced a difficult problem, so they took action. They suppressed their emotions, let's say, or use drugs to avoid the pain. Quote, people develop a habit of avoidance because it worked in the short term, but that habit can become a problem in the long term, Dr. Spencer says. In such a case, wise questions to ask are: you know, what are you avoiding by continuing the current pattern of behavior? And if you stop the problematic behavior, what will you be losing? Dr. Spencer has a client whose dream is to be a novelist, yet day in and day out, he didn't write. He procrastinated. A classic example of avoidance. Dr. Spencer questioned if he procrastinated because he was scared of failure of being found out to be a terrible writer, a judgment more devastating to him than the act of procrastinating. A line of inquiry led the patient beyond the impasse. Let's assume you'll be found to be a lousy writer. What will happen? What will, will that be the end of the world? Could being a lousy writer at first help you become a better writer? Avoiding doesn't teach you anything but more avoiding, Dr. Spencer says. You end up in a prison of avoidance. So probing questions help patients understand their avoidance and take action to break free. Incisive questions can be relevatory. So that's one of the great traits of a great therapist is the ability to ask good questions. And a lot of times those questions are provocative questions. It's, it's, it's allowing for a different perspective to be taken by the client. And it also shows, it's another way of demonstrating to your client or patient that you're non-judgmental and that you can look at things in different ways, helping to lead by example so that they can look at things in different ways. When we come back, we're gonna be talking more about traits of a great therapist, but just to catch you up to speed, if you're just tuning in, one of the great traits of a therapist, of a great therapist, is the ability to establish trust and rapport and to nurture that trust and rapport. Secondly, that therapist has to be open-minded and do their own work. You should ask a therapist, honestly and frankly, you should ask a therapist and look at it that you're interviewing them. Have they done their own work? Have they seen a therapist? Uh, that should be a question you ask when you're interviewing a new therapist, is have you done your own work? Have you been in therapy before? Okay. A good therapist also demands accountability from their patients. Now. Um, A good therapist isn't there to share in a pity party with you, and they're not there just to, you know, uh, uh, know, uh, give you uh uh-huhs and agreeable. They need to hold you accountable as well. So we'll talk more about that when we come back.
0: Lately, it seems you're not feeling quite right. As if your body is working against you, Dr. Amy & Associates can help create a path to achieve optimal health. Experience personalized healthcare for your mind, body, and spirit at a practice that blends holistic and traditional medicine.
2: Dr. Amy has really helped me. After experiencing a divorce in my 50s, I wasn't sure how to handle the stress and changes I was about to encounter. I needed to find a new profession since my ex-husband and I had worked together at our own company, plus there were other challenges with our own grown kids, family, and friends. wonderful to have Dr. Amy's guidance through this difficult situation. She kept me on track and assured me I was thinking correctly. She made a very hard time easier, and I will forever be grateful. If you're going through some hard life struggles, I would highly recommend Dr. Amy and Associates.
0: Call Dr. Amy and Associates to experience a whole-person integrative approach to health and wellness, 630-980-1400, or visit DrAmyAndAssociates.com. Dr. Amy and Associates, empowering people, changing lives.
1: Hey everyone welcome back to the show you're listening to how to choose a great therapist author abigail fagan has hooked us up with what we need to know she's identified seven specific traits of a great therapist now more than ever we're experiencing unprecedented levels of depression anxiety ptsd situational stress you name it so this is a really really timely show i want you to be in a position where you have the courage to reach out to a therapist or counselor, but you also know what to look for in a good therapist and counselor. Okay, If you missed any of the show, you can check out a rebroadcast on this great station, or you can check us out online at our website, it's thecifhw.com. You can check out a rebroadcast on our Facebook page. I want to invite you to like us, follow us, and share our content. We're making sure that it's practical and applicable to everyday life. We want to inspire you, we want to educate you, and encourage you to live the life by design. So please uh, like us and follow us on Facebook. Also, want to let you know we're doing a food drive now through the end of the year uh, in exchange for five non-perishable items. We'll get you set with a B12 shot. You don't need an appointment, just stop in, drop off your food, we'll get you connected. Also, we are working with Toys for Tots. If you can bring in a brand new unwrapped uh, toy, that would be amazing, amazing. You guys are amazing. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get back to the show because if you're seeking out a a great therapist, I want you to have an amazing result. So one of the traits of a great therapist is they demand accountability, okay? They're not going to let you off the hook. If you want somebody to let you off the hook, go talk to your best friend. Actually, one of the traits of a best friend is they should be upfront and honest with you and hold you accountable as well, but certainly your therapist. The authors say listening carefully and emphasizing, you know, with uh empathizing with patients feelings about their life experiences is a minimum requirement of all therapists the great therapists move beyond empathy into the realm of accountability and change they hold their patients feet to the fire even if it's uncomfortable at times okay again if you don't want to be held accountable you know talk to your friends talk to your family Holding patients accountable is one of the tasks of therapy, but ultimately, you want to guide clients to keep themselves accountable, Dr. Spencer says, and therapy itself becomes the model for accountability. For example, Dr. Spanser often teaches patients the cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT technique, of cognitive reappraisal, that's the ability to examine the validity of their thoughts. If a client makes a statement such as, no one likes me, or I'll be alone forever, Dr. Spencer will introduce him to relevant reappraisal questions. Is there evidence to back up that idea? If not, what would be a more accurate statement? Eventually, patients learn to challenge their thoughts themselves, and with practice, they'll come into a session and say something like, you know, I had this encounter and I got upset, but when I stopped and asked myself, what am I telling myself here for? I was able to calm down. Another way to hold patients accountable is through rehearsal of challenging but necessary tasks. For example, if a woman is nervous about breaking up with her boyfriend, the therapist could have a role play the conversation and record it. Together they could listen to the conversation and revise it until she says what she really wants and needs to say. An introverted high school student afraid of meeting new people in college could be asked to rehearse standing up, making eye contact, shaking the therapist's hand, and introducing himself, and then practice it five more times. Dr. Spencer often treats anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder, in which exposure is a key technique, uh, greatly abetted by the confidence of an experienced therapist. He once worked with a woman who's afraid of driving after having been in a bad accident. Several months in the treatment, Dr. Spencer announced, Well, let's go for a ride. Okay? First, they drove slowly around her apartment complex, then, they ventured onto the road. Periodically, Dr. Spencer sampled her level of discomfort. Her fear level started at 100, went down to 95, then dropped to 70, and eventually to 50. She burst into tears and exclaimed, I can't believe I'm driving. It was a cry of relief and a triumph of courage, Dr. Spencer says. If you can keep people in the discomfort long enough, habituation will occur and they won't feel scared. That moment is like a miracle, okay? So you gotta hold your clients accountable. A great therapist, also has to be versatile. What does that mean? Well, the author says great therapists adapt their approach for each individual patient. I'm just gonna pause there and say that's one of the driving forces of seeing a good integrative psychologist is because they can adapt their treatment approach to fit the client rather than someone that maybe is so steeped in psychoanalytic theory or is only doing cognitive behavioral therapy right? Because therapy is not a one-size-fits-all. So another great trait of a great therapist is the ability to be versatile. So they're comfortable working in different modalities and don't hesitate to try something new. I'd like to count on the therapist not to be a one-trick pony, says psychiatrist Mark Rigo, a clinical assistant professor at the Yale School of Medicine. People are usually trained in one school of thought, but I'd want a therapist who could say, this isn't working, but I have another way we can look at it, end quote. How do clinicians know when to shift? When the patient isn't making progress, the time frame depends on the condition. So a clinician may expect signs of improvement in weeks when treating a patient for a phobia, months for personality disorder, not necessarily vast improvement, but signs of change, such as a reduction in symptoms, a new sense of hope, or a deepening of rapport. If therapy is stalled, good clinicians may change modalities, alter their communication style, or dig deeper. Okay, I'm just going to say here, personality disorders don't necessarily respond to change within a few months, usually a few years. Okay, so I just want to keep it real. If you're dealing with a personality disorder, then you really need to see a therapist who's an expert in successfully treating personality disorders, because that is some intensive work. Okay, the author goes on to say, early in his career, Dr. Rigo worked with a young woman who was suffering a psychotic depression she had severe social anxiety to which Rigo took a cognitive approach he explained how to reframe her experiences of catastrophizing and generalizing using CBT techniques quote she wouldn't say anything she would just look at me and tears would come down her face dr rigo says it was getting us absolutely nowhere so rigo took a few steps back he needed to understand her reality he asked her to describe it she explained how difficult it was to leave the house run errands or complete the simplest of tasks life was so much harder than the situational doubts of social anxiety her husband a religious man thought her problems were due to lack of motivation and felt she could heal herself through spiritual means her illness was so severe that she simply wasn't ready for cognitive behavioral skills so Rigo decided to bring the husband in to serve as part of the therapeutic treatment and with this the woman began to improve so there's an example a really really good doctor good therapist good psychiatrist you know was approaching this woman's severe situation from a very conventional point of view cognitive behavioral therapy which works well in many instances um but it's working with the logical mind and here this client in the uh, example here needed to understand the deep emotional stuff and also needed to switch gears using you know a different modality Okay, so a great therapist needs to be versatile. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about seven traits of a great therapist. First of all, building trust and rapport. Secondly, being open minded and non judgmental. Third, having a curiosity that allows for um, sensitive uh, but sometimes pointed inquiry and creative inquiries. Fourth, expecting clients to make progress and take ownership for the work they're doing. So demanding accountability. Five, that therapist needs to be versatile, right? Ideally, you should work with somebody that has training in different schools of thought, not just cognitive behavioral or not just psychodynamic, not just, you know, dialectical behavioral therapy, but has a good broad understanding of different modes of therapy, then they should be unifying, okay? Therapy should be unifying. That's something I want to talk more about when we come back from break. What does it mean to have, you know, a therapist that is unifying? You know, a lot of times people will get in to see a therapist that isn't well trained or hasn't done their own work, working with their own therapist, and it actually can create more harm than good. And again, beware, make sure that when you're working with a therapist at minimum, they have a master's degree in counseling or or clinical psychology. Okay, a bachelor's degree is is generally not enough to have an expertise in doing therapy. You're listening to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Harris-Noah.
0: Lately, it seems you're not feeling quite right. As if your body is working against you, Dr. Amy and Associates can help create a path to achieve optimal health. Experience personalized healthcare for your mind, body, and spirit at a practice that blends holistic and traditional medicine.
2: Dr. Amy has really helped me. After experiencing a divorce in my 50s, I wasn't sure how to handle the stress and changes I was about to encounter. I needed to find a new profession since my ex-husband and I had worked together at our own company. Plus, there were other challenges with our own grown kids, family, and friends. It was wonderful to have Dr. Amy's guidance through this difficult situation. She kept me on track and assured me I was thinking correctly. She made a very hard time easier and I will forever be grateful. If you're going through some hard life struggles, I would highly recommend Dr. Amy and Associates.
0: Call Dr. Amy and Associates to experience a whole person integrative approach to health and wellness. 630-980-1400 or visit DrAmyAndAssociates.com. Dr. Amy and Associates, empowering people, changing lives.
1: everyone. Welcome back to Mind Over Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Amy garrison You're listening to How to Find a Great Therapist. If you've missed any of this show, you can check out a rebroadcast on this great station, or you can check us out online, thecifhw.com. You can follow us on Facebook and get a rebroadcast there, facebook.com forward slash thecifhw. We will be hosting our own Mind Over Matters radio website coming soon so you can always catch a rebroadcast there. If you're someone looking for a good therapist or counselor, please give us a call, 630-980-1400. We've got a very talented staff here at the Center for Integrative and Functional Health and Wellness. We do work with clients locally, nationally, as well as internationally. So I wanna get back to the show because as you know, therapy can be a difficult process but it can be one of the most life-changing and rewarding processes that you've ever invested in, but you need to know what to look for in a great therapist. So again, I want to thank author Abigail Fagan. She's helped us understand seven great traits of a great therapist. It is in the recent edition of psychology today magazine. I want to thank the author as well as the contributing therapist. So again, if you missed any of the show, you can check out rebroadcast. If you need, a great therapist, you can give us a call here again, 630-980-1400. So let's talk about the last two traits of a good therapist. We last left off talking about unifying. So therapy is tough enough with one patient, two, and the dynamics become infinitely more complicated. Great couples therapists take on a leadership role to unify a couple's goals. And let me just say here, couples don't always have the same goals usually there is one overarching goal is both people want to be satisfied and happy no matter what that looks like it could mean helping them to healthfully uncouple it could be helping them to see the value in continuing to be in a relationship again it has to be what the client needs but a great couples therapist has to take on a a leadership role to unify the couple's goals they don't just emphasize. And empathize with one partner, you know, uh, you know, partner A and then partner B. They prioritize their relationship above the individuals. What makes great couples therapists stand apart is the ability to hold the relational system and see it as the client. And I will tell you, that's one of the things I, you know, did for many years when I worked with couples. I always say, when I work with couples, you know, I'm not your therapist or your therapist. I see my client as the relationship itself, and I look to examine what's working well in the relationship, what areas aren't working well, but I want to understand what your goals are. But please understand, I'm, I'm not going to side with either of you. I want to understand the totality of the relationship and the dynamics. The author says, for example, a couple may come to therapy with the woman wanting to feel more emotionally supported and the man wanting to have more sex. The wise therapist identify the relational value underlying each partner's need and leads the couple in conversation to help them discover it for themselves by asking questions, reflecting back what is heard, synthesizing the two perspectives and checking whether the insight is aligned with both partners. The support the woman craves may signal that she values a relationship in which he feels seen, heard, and understood, while the man's desire for sex may indicate that he values being chosen and prioritized. Quote, in therapy, we would weave those two together and create an atmosphere in the relationship where both feel understood and prioritized, Dr. Solomon says. Lastly, you need a therapist who is self-aware. Self-aware, especially if they're expecting their clients to be self-aware so the author says if you don't know yourself you don't know what's happening in the room therapist uh, burnstone says that's why a therapist level of self-awareness is instrumental to effective therapy and i'm going to say that's why everybody who is thinking about becoming a therapist needs to get in and do their own work and work with a great therapist great therapists explore their own background biases and blind spots and the self-exploration is ongoing, whether it takes the form of their own therapy, group work, peer supervision, or continuing education. Having a deep understanding of who they are can prevent their beliefs from consciously or unconsciously influencing the work. Quote, I wouldn't trust a therapist who hasn't done their own therapy, Dr. Solomon says. Whether it's awareness of their own beliefs about the world, discomfort around certain topics, or even subtle aspects of their own self-perception, Great therapists know when to monitor their own reactivity. It's important that therapists are comfortable in their own skin, that they're not needy in terms of their own ego or desire for validation, Dr. Spencer says. If you're needy, clients are sensitive and will pick up on it and try to give you what you need. An important aspect of self-awareness is sensitivity to one's own assumptions, especially about cultural differences, gender and race, says Los Angeles psychologist, Janice Folauer. Great therapists acknowledge the vast diversity of human experience and do not lock themselves into a single perspective. They also freely ask patients to educate them about their unique experience and their unique perspective. For example, a patient may be grappling with unreasonable demands from a parent that are contributing to their mental health difficulties and stalling the therapeutic progress, yet saying no to the parent or elder creates conflict. A good therapist might ask the patient, what are your thoughts about why your parents want you to do that, which may unearth cultural norms that can then be openly discussed in light of what the patient believes is a healthy dynamic. Such an approach helps the therapist identify how to move forward and reduces resistance to the patient who might have otherwise dismissed their guidance. I'm just going to pause there and say cultural competency should be a core of a good therapist curriculum. So any master's program and doctoral program will include um, specific uh, coursework in cultural competency as well as very often specific uh, exams uh, in cultural competency as well. That's one of the things you do not get as an undergraduate in psychology. Okay, that's why I want you to be very, very Aware and see somebody with at least a master's level, because cultural competency is 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 an absolute foundational ingredient uh, should be for any therapist, but especially for a great therapist. So the author goes on to say, perhaps the last component of self-awareness is recognizing when a patient may be best served by another clinician. As versatile as great therapists can be, they they also recognize when they're pushed too far outside their skill set in which case a referral elsewhere is warranted. Quote, you have to know your own limits, Burnstone says, a great therapist may not be a great therapist for every patient, but every patient can, with time, find a great therapist. End quote. Herein lies the need to interview a few therapists. Again, you should be able to feel a sense of trust, of rapport and respect within the first meeting, but for sure by meeting number three. And if meeting number three, you're not feeling it, then that therapist is not the right fit for you. Definitely interview the therapist. Ask if they've done their own therapeutic work. Definitely check out their credentials. Okay, uh, A great way to do that is findatherapist.com or psychologytoday.com, uh, you know, uh, that is, you know, a great resource where you can find a good therapist. They list their training, they list their credentials, they list their areas of expertise and call. You know, call, set an appointment, see, you know, just when you're setting that initial appointment, see if you can talk to them for a few minutes. You'll get a feel for somebody. But just to recap, there are seven traits of a great therapist. The first is they should be able to build uh, trust and rapport pretty quickly, okay? And they should be open-minded, non-judgmental, okay? That that should be just a a, a foundation, not just a trait of a great therapist, but foundation for any therapist. If you're not feeling that they're open-minded, don't work with that person. They should be inquiring. You should work with a therapist that can get creative in the questioning to help uncover beliefs, uh, blind spots, those kind of things. A great therapist should demand accountability, okay, and be able to address that within the therapeutic relationship. If you know you as the client aren't making progress. Another great trait of a therapist, a great therapist is their ability to be versatile and well-educated and proficient in different modalities of treatment. Finally, they should be unifying, they should work towards understanding everyone's goals, and they should have an exceptionally high degree of self-awareness. I wanna thank you for tuning into our show today, Mind Over Matters, I'm your host, Dr. Amy harris Nuon.